the animation podcast, April 2nd, 2006. Go infinity! Go infinity! Go infinity! What's this? Go! Meet me! That's it! Dumbo! Let's go! Walk on the ice of Eastman! Hey! Right on the button! <laughs> Don't let me fill it! <laughs> <laughs> Wrong that way. Uh, I'd like a word with you if you don't mind. You will join me for dinner. Oh, goody. Now it's like this, little britches. And beyond. Hey, everybody, this is Clay. Welcome to show number 14 of the Animation Podcast. We'll get right to today's guest, but keep listening after the interview for listener feedback and to hear how you can support the show. See how these names make you feel Ariel, The Beast, Aladdin, Pocahontas, Tarzan. John Silver. If you're at all familiar with animation, there's a good chance you know that the name behind this list is Glenn Keane. These characters who came to life through his animated performances and affected our lives have likely inspired countless young men and women to consider careers as animators, or at the very least, to pick up a pencil and draw their favorite Little Mermaid, Street Rat, or Vine Surfing Ape Man. I know I'm one of those people, so it gives me great pleasure to present to you part one of my interview with Glenn Keane. I think most people know a lot about your life and your career, but um, hopefully we can cover some of the stuff that maybe they don't know. First of all, your dad is Bill Keen of the Family Circus. What was that like when you were a kid growing up in, in that environment? Did he, did he work at home? Yeah, yeah. Dad um, has a studio attached to the house. He's uh, going to be 84 this year, and he's still drawing. Um, and I, you know, I just thought every kid's dad was a cartoonist. <laughs> it was the most normal thing in the world to have an artist living at home. And I would just go out and knock on his studio door and I'd always hear, come in. And I'd go in there and dad would be busy working away on something. I said, dad, I'm trying to draw this, uh, I'm trying to draw this dog, but he keeps looking like a horse. Uh, how do you, how do you do that? And he'd, well, here, and he'd always push his work aside. He always had time and he'd put down a clean sheet of paper and draw over top of what I was working on, which was really the exact same way it started for me here at Disney mm -hmm. with the same approach. I, I really got, I guess that was, that was the root of of knowing that art is about something that you're going to learn from somebody else. Like we would go on uh, family vacations. I remember one particular vacation where um, dad had bought these cavemen. They're like, I don't know, eight inch high cavemen. And everybody, you know, there's seven in our family. So we all pile into the, um, the station wagon and dad had given me these, me these things uh, specifically so that I could draw them. Hmm. And he also given me some markers, you know, like magic marker color <laughs> stuff. And I'm sitting in the middle, jammed in between my brother and my sister, and I'm drawing these. Uh, just everybody's dying in the car. But he he was really encouraging me to look at look at the anatomy on this. I mean, this is a great way for you to study anatomy here. Yeah. And in fourth grade, I mean, I I made everybody in the car sick that day, and so I couldn't do that anymore. But then he gave me a book, uh, Bern Hogarth's Dynamic Anatomy, in fourth grade, to really encourage me to to study the figure and drawing. And he was because he never really went into fine art. 
I I think there was this part of him that really appreciated big, bold, powerful drawing, and he was always pointing out artists that had this real expressive line, um, whether it was Degas or... Well, he, he liked uh, Ruault's drawings, which were just very crude and bold and very opposite of him. He mm-hmm. he draws with like a, a, I think it's like a 6H pencil. And, you know, it's it's, it's almost like you when he draws, you do this little silhouette of the drawing. And it's, it's as if the, the page could, could be, it was like an X-Acto knife. You know, the silhouette of the drawing is left there. I mean, Dad's mm-hmm. drawings are very opposite of mine. Which was kind of nice. I mean, I, I and I think right from the early from the start, I knew that I wanted to do something that was very different than him. Okay, I was going to ask you: Did you ever consider that you might one day work with him doing that family circus? Yeah, it was because your brother does, right? Yeah, my brother Jeff, uh, little Jeffy in the family circus does, and no, but it was never, never any consideration on my part that I would do that. I, I really just wanted to pursue art. That mm-hmm. I wanted to sculpt, I wanted to paint, I wanted to draw. But w- one of the cool things that I think I got from from Dad was always thinking of of the viewer, always thinking of the audience, always being really aware of if what you were doing was communicating to somebody else. I mean, you just grew up at at home at dinner at the at the Keene family table, dad was always sitting at the head and he would always tell jokes, you know, and I remember, you know, I, I read his um, biography on, I think it's the, the cartoonist society. Uh huh. That's funny. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like two paragraphs, but it's just laid with jokes. And I can't imagine how that must've been with him. Yeah. Well, he, he always wanted to be a stand up comic. I know in world war two, he and Don Knotts had, uh, would entertain the troops where dad was the MC and Don Knotts was this nervous GI with shaking hands in the gun. And so it was just normal fare always to have gags and jokes and dad always talking about different comedians on TV and you'd sit and watch TV and you'd hear his comments about the comedians. And so I was very, very aware of what you do is for communicating something clearly to an audience. And I got that really Quickly, when I got to Disney, I, I mean, I really understood what Frank and Ollie were talking about. Mm-hmm. So you said you were drawing at a young age. Do you feel that? I mean, uh, I think you're an excellent artist. And do you feel like you've always been excellent, or have you made bad drawings? Have you gone through that? And oh, yeah, no, no, I've not. I, I don't consider myself an excellent artist, and I never thought that I was an excellent artist. I always uh, wanted to be. And and even just even calling myself an artist is something that I um, – it's more of a, a, a name given to you by somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate you saying that. Mm-hmm. But, um, man, I just – my drawings were so bad. I, I really I really wanted to to draw with the, the power and the, the conviction and the strength and the knowledge of, of so many of the great illustrators that – that I saw. I mean, Dad um, really was a big fan of Lion Decker, and I look at that, and it was like an infant looking at Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. I, the idea that you could ever draw something like that—I mean, with, with it was sublime beauty. <laughs> it was impossible, and it was more. It wasn't a feeling like I could ever be able to to attain drawing a beauty like that. 
but it was more just the drive. I just had to. I just had to get to know about drawing, and and it was the one thing that came from way down deep inside. And I mean, in high school, I was playing football, and I had a choice to either go play football for Arizona State after graduating, or to go to Cal Arts, and I asked Cal Arts if they had a football team. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, we don't quite have a football team. We we don't have any sports at all. Well, actually, they did have some tennis courts and a volleyball court. So, but it was I loved playing football, but drawing was just something I couldn't not do. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I look at some of the drawings I have did when I was like in fourth grade, and the anatomy is completely not there. Maybe that's why Dad gave me that book <laughs> on anatomy at that time because I remember. Going to school then, um, after having drawn uh, these figures uh, from Bern Hogarth's Dynamic Anatomy, and and they were like the discus thrower and the thinker, and and going in on the school bus and showing the drawings to the other kids around me, and they were laughing, they were shocked that I was doing these naked people, you know, and it it was. I was I was surprised that I got that kind of a reaction. I I didn't realize that this was a strange thing to do, mm-hmm. but that didn't stop me. I mean, from that I just I just realized, okay, well, this is something that I, I want to do, and I'm going to do it myself. And and it's always been kind of the um, the thread through my life is that I really see myself as uh, pursuing the goal of an artist, and uh, an animator is really kind of a secondary thing for me. It's a part of being an artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's the um I don't know, the the avenue that I've been able to express mm-hmm. it. And it keeps changing. But they both inform each other. I mean, you, oh, you yeah. sketch or you sculpt and it informs your animation and I think animation just needs all that external influence. Yeah, I mean, I really do believe that animation um demands more out of you than any art form there is. Yeah. And any artist who really, really wants to grow and be the very best artist he can possibly be, that animation is the thing that's going to test you the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I had a pretty good life till I tried animation. That <laughs> 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 was really the hardest thing I've ever done. It, it still is. It's amazing. But it's funny how I, I keep coming back to it and keep doing it, you know? Yeah. Well, it's every once in a while you hit a good drawing. Yeah, it's like just you know every once in a while you hit that mm-hmm. golf ball straight and mm-hmm. it's like oh and it gets you out again. Yeah, it's, it, yeah. Hopefully it's less of the random reward of of golfing <laughs> or gambling, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. So you went to Cal Arts, but so you hadn't really thought about animation, and now I'd say you're uh, you're really into Disney and Disney history and Disney animation. Where did you learn that? I mean, was it at Cal Arts that you started seeing the Disney stuff and being interested in it, or was it after you came to Disney? Well, when I got to Cal Arts, I, uh, I was a real misfit. I didn't know anything about animation. Matter of fact, when I sent my portfolio to that school, uh, it was really, I, I had sent my portfolio again to the School of Painting, and uh, it was accepted. I got a letter saying I was accepted into the School of Film Graphics, and I had no idea what the heck that was. So I called the school and I said, I think there's a mistake. I, I, I want to I go to the School of Painting, not to the School of Film Graphics. Um, he said, well, no, that's what you've been accepted into. I said, yeah, but what is film graphics? He said, well, I, I really don't know. <laughs> I was just talking to some 
admissions lady there. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like it sounds like there's stuff with like cameras and film. Well, yeah, I guess it is. Well, I don't want to do that. I, I, I want to paint. I want to draw. Well, this, if you want to do that, you can you can do that as a second, but you have to come in to film graphics. So I agreed, and I walked into the classroom, and there was all these students with these drawing on these round discs, flipping paper, and I had no idea what that was. Hmm. And and I, I I just fell in love with this idea, though, when I saw forms actually moving because they weren't just forms a a bouncing ball had weight and it was like wow that's so interesting that you just had no interest in it really until you got there and you saw it and then you just yeah there was no i had i the 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 idea had never even crossed my mind that somebody actually drew the stuff that i saw in jungle book and Mm -hmm. that was not that long ago i just just never made that connection Mm -hmm. And so if you step into the world of animation with a background like mine, you feel really intimidated. You feel like you are totally an idiot. Everybody else knows everything and you know nothing. And Mm -hmm. it seemed like everybody did know the names and they knew about the terms of squash and stretch, drag, overlap, anticipation. You know, it's like they might have been speaking Chinese and I would have understood it better. Um, And it just... It was really kind of a difficult two years at CalArts because I was trying to find, um, do I really fit into this? Though I sensed that there was something there, but the way it was being taught at that time was not at all the way I know animation to be true for me now. Um, It was taught in a very, it was taught about in a way that you were making shapes move or graphic. Um, it was yeah, graphic animation. It was uh-huh. very very it wasn't the character animation program. Actually the at that time they were saying, you know, and if you want to get into Disney it's impossible cuz Disney is a closed door. It's pretty much it's not hiring any longer and so the only thing you can do is do Saturday morning animation. So I was taught about walk cycles and stock animation from Filmation and Hanna-Barbera and I mean, I was, I was interested enough in it because I could make some money, maybe. But in terms of that artist flame, it was still painting and sculpture. That someday, that's what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And were you continuing that in school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing painting and uh, some sculpting, but not much. And um, but dreaming someday, someday, that's what I would do. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 interesting how sometimes. The thing that you're really driving for, the way you picture it, the way you picture you're going to find that holy grail you're looking for, it's delivered in an entirely different vessel. Mm-hmm. It's an, it, it came in the form of, of animation to me, and I never expected it. And I remember the day that it, it just hit me that this was possible for me. At CalArts, uh, we had some of the trainees from Disney at that time that had just been there for like a year. And one was uh, John Pomeroy and Andy Gaskell, uh, Dale Bear, um, a guy named Dick Sebast. And they came up and spoke to uh, the the CalArts uh, Animation School and showed their pencil tests. And, and these guys 
who also knew nothing about animation until they started, were being taught by Eric Larson and uh, Frank and Ollie at that time. And and suddenly I saw those same just like graphic shapes that were just about bouncing balls were no longer about bouncing balls. They were living, breathing characters that moving with purpose and and emotion and power. And you could feel when they stepped that the frame wanted to shake and there was volume of coming coming right out at you and weight to the drawing and line and scribbly and it was more of like this frenetic search for 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 life in these sketches and i looked at that and i just thought that's me mm-hmm. i can do that i know i know i can do that it's all just don't ask me to do pretty clean drawings i can't do that but i can do what i'm looking at up there on that screen and um so I started working on my portfolio to uh, to come to Disney at that point. So you knew basically then that, that was your goal from then on? My goal was to try to get into Disney, mm-hmm. but I didn't really believe that I could be an animator. I, um, I, I, saw, I still saw the, the drawings of like um, Sleeping Beauty and, you know, just the drawing was, was way beyond anything that I imagined that I could possibly attain. Um, even though, I, like I told you, I, I really knew that I could do that, what I saw, the rough. Mm-hmm. But when it came down to it, I think I kind of backed off the high dive and I thought, well, I don't know. Man. Maybe it's safer for me if I'll, I'll do um, layout drawings. I'll do uh, for, uh, a, a scene of a street and um, somebody else who's really good at drawing uh, doing animation can work with my backgrounds and that kind of a thing. So I, I submitted a portfolio with a lot of layout um, stuff and Eric Larson, and I worked months and months on this portfolio, and he went through it, kind of just turning through the pages, you know, like I spent three weeks on that drawing, <laughs> and he stopped in this one sketch, and he looked at it. And he kept going, and he came back to that one sketch, and he said, um, "Can you do more like this?" And it was just this very quick little sketch. It was an ink drawing of a nude figure. Maybe took at the most twelve seconds to do. Mm-hmm. He said, "Can you do more like this?" I said, "Well, yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can do more like that. Because if you can do that, maybe." Maybe you have a have a chance. So that's when I went out to the beach and I brought uh, seven notebooks, a hundred pages in each one, and filled every sketchbook with a hundred drawings. And came back the next week with this. And Eric again went through my sketchbooks, this time tearing out every <laughs> I don't know, keeping one out of every ten drawings mm-hmm. in there, which is still a pretty good average, one out of ten yeah. if you can get one good Very drawing good. out of ten. Um, and then submitted that and to the review board and and I was hired uh for that trainee program which lasted you know the first 4 weeks you work on an animation test and then it shows the review board and then you do another one if that's good enough another 4 weeks working with Eric Larson and and if that's good enough passes review board then you were hired I think that's working it was working with Eric that I started to find out that given the right kind of mentor the right kind of direction 
uh, and you were made to feel like you weren't an idiot if you didn't know all the terms because suddenly when he was explaining it, it all just made so much sense. And it was also clear and, gosh, it was it was such an environment of encouragement at the studio there, encouragement that they were trying to get what was in you out of you. Mm-hmm. And there's a proverb that says the the plans of a man's heart are like deep water but a man of understanding draws them out. You could say it's like the potential in a man's heart. It's like deep water. And as that's how I really look at those guys is they were focusing towards the end of their careers on just really plumbing the uh, the potential, mm-hmm. getting it out of you. Mm-hmm. And did it ever feel like there was an urgency to kind of pass on this information, or was it very you know, at your pace teaching you? You know, I think there was much more of an urgency on uh, my part than their part, Mm -hmm. uh, on our part. Uh, We were desperate to know. Sharing, anytime somebody would come out of Eric's office, then we would gather around and he would flip his drawings. You'd see the Eric sketches and little arcs and expressions of, you know, the things that he would make drawings over just for clarifying. And we would all learn from each other. And um, I remember Ollie at one point saying to me, well, you know, Glenn, I, I got a lot more to tell you, but you just, you're just not ready for it yet. I said, well, that's, well, tell it to me anyway. I'll write it down. Someday I'll, I'll, I'll know. But fortunately they were. But they were putting it all in a book, and mm-hmm. I think that's what he was thinking. We've got, we've got a lot more to tell these guys, and when, how can we communicate it when, you know, people just aren't ready and I think that's when they really started thinking, you know, we should do this in a book when they realized that the heads of the people they were filling were already overflowing mm-hmm. and couldn't contain too much more. Yeah. And they so they retired and they started writing their book. But I started just writing down on little scraps of paper notes after every meeting with Ollie. I'd go back and I'd write down what he he taught. And I still have it's maybe a page of, I don't know, some like 60 different points that specifics that he would he'd go over because i i really wanted to get i didn't want to miss anything but it it was a school i mean that's really Mm -hmm. what the studio was at that time was you had classes from ward kimball at night and mark davis at night figure drawing classes or blaine gibson doing sculpting over at imagineering and the milk call would give a lecture or frank and ollie would give a lecture and eric larson was always having one-on-one or a group of maybe six of you would sit with him and in his very quiet, patient way, he would just talk about the points in animation. And Who were some of the people you were with, like classmates? Um, well, it was Ron Clements, uh, myself, Guy Tad Stones, who is now directing over in TV, uh, Andy Gaskell, uh, Ron Husband, uh, Randy Cartwright, Let's see. Well, and then event then it came where Brad Bird and John Musker came along, and uh, Jerry Reese and John Lasseter, and I mean it just kept growing. The numbers. Don Bluth was there. John Pomeroy, Gary Goldman. I mean that's another whole story. The <laughs> the political, yeah. the battles that took place among among those the, the new talent and. It was an interesting time because really what you had was this generation that 
that really had this treasure to pass on, and it hadn't and it had skipped a generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bernie was basically that generation that was skipped. Yeah, he, he was skipped, and yet I've always felt that Bernie was more like just one of the oldest of the young guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really think it skipped Bernie, mm-hmm. um, but there was a lot in like his his uh, position that did feel that way. And when a guy like me became an animator at, in my early 20s, um, and my assistants were people at 50, 55 years old, there was just built-in trouble. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of frustration, resentment, and, you know, certainly who was I to tell them what to do. And, you know, it, looking back, I'm sure that Frank and Ollie and Eric and all of them kind of wished that they had started this sooner. But I, it just, I don't think it was in Walt's thinking at that yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. That concludes part one with Glenn Keane. The conversation continues in the next show, but right now it's time for some listener voicemail. And please keep listening to find out how you can help by filling out my listener survey. Um, hello. Hi. Great. Um, this is Benson. I come from Taiwan and I made this phone from Taiwan and I want to say appreciate everything you did and I really like your uh, animation podcast. It's pretty good and awesome and give me a lot of learning and uh, interesting. So um, I think it's for everyone, like animation. Well, I think that's just fantastic. When I started the podcast, I knew the potential audience would be big, but I never thought I'd be getting phone calls from Taiwan. Unfortunately, right when you said your name, it kind of cut out, so I'll make a guess and say thanks for calling Vincent. And Vincent's call is the perfect lead into something I wanted to mention on the show, and that is there is a new way to leave a voice message that is much better and probably more convenient if you have a computer with a microphone. So if you go to the website at animationpodcast.com, there's a tab in the header that says voicemail, and click that and it'll take you to a page that allows you to record a message directly through the website, then review it, and then send it when you're done. And this wonderful little service is provided by audio.com, so I just want to thank them for putting that out there for us. And here's a perfect demo of this new feature that we can all learn from. Oh, Glenn, I need the animation interview bad. I've been waiting for so long, I don't know what to do. Uh, uh, can you just send me a little bit of interview, man? Uh, oh, yeah, um, I'm just calling to say how much I appreciate what you're doing so far. Thank you very much, and uh, have a nice day. Okay, what three things did we learn? One is the audio is much better than the phone line. And two, it's great when you make it fun. And three, don't forget to say your name. Uh, Luckily, Jackie filled out the form before he sent his message, so I can thank him for that by name. But if you can start with your name, that's always helpful. So here's another message recorded through the site. Hey, this is uh, Corey Carlett calling from SkyCrown.com. I just wanted to uh, let you know that I think your show is really awesome, and uh, it would be kind of interesting to uh, hear a little bit more on uh, some of the animation that's been going on in the international scene, and maybe a little bit more on some of the uh, stuff that DreamWorks did when their traditional studio would be open. Oh, yeah, and uh, my girlfriend would like to request uh, more information or a podcast or interview or whatever with James Baxter. 
We're both at uh, Sheridan College in the classical animation program, and I got to tell you that everybody here that I we know listens to your uh, podcast. So keep up the good work, and uh, all of us here at Sheridan will still be listening, I'm sure. Thank you to Corey and your girlfriend for the message, and I'll see what I can do about getting all three of your suggestions. So far, we've heard the voice message hotline and the new audio voicemail on the webpage. And of course, there's always the third option, which is sending me a file that you record on your own. Hello there, uh, this message is from Cesare, and I wanted to take a couple of minutes to thank you for all the good work that you've been doing. It's invigorating, and uh, I think you got a lot of fans out there. Maybe not everybody gets around to call you or send you a message. Hell, I've been wanting to send you a message, uh, or at least uh, an email or something, for a long time. I just never got around to do it. Um, I just was listening again to one of your early shows, as a matter of fact, to like part one uh, of um, Andreasthesia uh, again, and it's uh, it's great. I mean, it's uh, not only is it nice to hear the first time, but even the second time, it's you, you really just get a lot of information out of it that you you missed the first time. So thank you for doing it. I know it's not a walk in the park. I know putting together uh, such podcasts, it's it's a lot of work, it's organization, it's technical and all this stuff. So keep on doing it. You got a lot of fans out there. And most of all, uh, it, it's great that you're able to get these people that have so much passion for, for the work that they do. Not many people are out there doing what they love to do. And especially not so many people are out there doing animation and being able to make a living at drawing so it's great that you're out there helping out the community and um, just keep it up it's great and uh, thanks from for everybody that has as much passion as you do bye-bye thanks a lot Cesare I really do appreciate the message because I am just one guy and an intro voice and doing this and getting feedback like yours lets me know that I'm uh, at least hitting the mark in what I'm trying to do here and speaking of Cesare's, your name reminds me of a movie that has a great scene for acting analysis called The Idol Maker. There's a scene where Peter Gallagher's character Cesare has to go on stage and sing, but he's never done it before. And so it's just amazing to see this shy, uh, nervous character get up on stage and just totally make this physical transformation into this amazing performer. It's just an amazing acting scene. So anyways, it's a great scene and a great voice message. So thanks, Cesare. And I also got a message from Michael at CalArts, but I'm going to hold on to that one for a bit since I'm, uh, I'm working on his request. So I just wanted to mention that so Michael doesn't think it got lost. And this last phone message will just serve as a reminder why the new message system is so much better. Hey, my name is John. I'm uh, San Diego. I'm uh, currently a student over here. And uh, right now I'm just uh, animating uh, my scene and um, listening to your podcast at the same time. So um, I really do appreciate what you're doing with the show, um, who you're uh, interviewing. So I'm going to be spreading the word about your show over here at the school because we have a lot of students and um, we can very much uh, benefit from having the interview to promote uh, quality animation for the uh, the next generation, you know, our generation. And uh, I think that's a very, very extravagant one, what you're doing. And it's going to pay off, and we're going to see uh, huge uh, changes in the industry. So uh, keep it the good work, and I'll be uh, tuning in. I'm just trying to catch up with your podcast. All right, check you out later. Bye. Thanks for the call, John, and thanks for spreading the word. I am wondering, though, what school you go to in San Diego. And segue, segue, speaking of learning about my listeners, there is now a survey up on the website. 
I receive emails every once in a while uh, with people asking what they can do to support the show, and this is it. So go to animationpodcast.com and click the survey tab at the top of the screen to get to the survey. And it really should take less than five minutes to uh, click through the questions, and the results will give me just a better idea of who the podcast is reaching. So, of course, you can find all the information covered in the show at animationpodcast.com. And please feel free to email me at animationpodcast at gmail.com and keep those voice messages coming in. And if you still want to call on your cell phone, the number is area code 206-666-2668. Well, we're almost at the end, so I'll throw out a final thanks for everyone who supported the show by telling other people about it, whether it's on a blog, in a discussion forum, or just by word of mouth. Uh, There's some great stuff in upcoming episodes, and I just want as many people to hear it as possible. So until next time, this is Clay Cadis for the Animation Podcast, saying thanks for tuning in.